I'm Judy Peters, and my guest today is from the Manitoba Chimney Swift Initiative. Amanda Shave is the coordinator, and we'll talk about the species at risk, the observation program in Manitoba, some fascinating encounters with chimney swifts, and we'll touch on some basic things that we can do to help with the survival of this species. Now, Amanda, thanks so much for joining us today. My first question for you is, what are chimney swifts? So they're a small bird. Um, the sort of group that they're classified in are aerial insectivores. So they're, they are birds that eat insects on the wing, um, and they're specifically adapted for that. Um, a lot of people think of them um, kind of like swallows. They have a lot of the same adaptations because they're all catching birds while they're flying. So they're very agile. They have very long wings. Um, they spend a very large portion of their lives in the air. They are actually more closely related to hummingbirds. It's just kind of like, for some reason, they've, they've evolved to, to eat insects, and um, so they have evolved to look more like swift, um, or look more like swallows, sorry. A lot of people, I think, don't know about them because during the day, they're very high up foraging for insects, so they're hard to see. And then people generally aren't out looking for birds at dusk, which is when they start sort of flying lower as the insects come down in the in the air column and then um, eventually the swift going in the chimney. But yeah, so usually when people are birders and they're out birding, they're out in the morning or sort of early afternoon um, and not usually at dusk or after dusk um, when the chimney swift would kind of be lower and around to see. Um, and yeah, um, like a lot of other aerial insectivores, they are a species at risk. They are um, under both the federal species at risk legislation and also under um, our Manitoba Endangered Species and Ecosystems at Risk Act. So their numbers are declining probably for a number of reasons, including climate change, declining number of insects, uh, a loss of habitat. So they're getting it kind of on all sides, unfortunately. Well, and I think that is one of the biggest things that I've noticed is fewer and fewer chimneys. So if that is a place where these birds generally go to, where do they go then if there's a lack of chimneys? So their original um, places they nested before, obviously, we started building chimneys, um, was uh, hollowed out snags, standing dead trees, um, and supposedly also caves. Um, at least in Manitoba, as far as we know, we have very few swifts that nest in naturally occurring cavities. Um, there's one that we know of near Riding Mountain. We haven't found the site yet, but people see each year a swift diving down off of a certain trail into the trees. So we think that they're using a natural cavity there. Um, but other than that, if there is no, no available nesting chimneys, they, they can choose to roost together. They won't nest and have young men. They'll just kind of spend the summer um, just sleeping in that chimney and then flying around and eating. Um, but other than chimneys and if they can find a natural cavity, those are basically their two options. And here in Manitoba, I understand we have a number of volunteers that are specifically looking for chimney swifts. Tell me a bit about this this program. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so we have volunteers um, that sort of a couple of different roles depending on how involved um, people want to be. So we have some people that just go about their days, goes for walks and stuff. And um, if they happen to see a swift using a chimney, we have sort of a general reporting form. Um, so that's how we find out about a lot of our new chimneys, especially in residential areas. 
because people are living in the community and they're going for walks or gardening or something like that, and they just happen to see swift over a specific area or sometimes using a specific chimney. Um, and then the other volunteers that we have go out and do the, the actual monitoring of chimneys. Um, so we watch a lot of chimneys in Manitoba, um, usually um, like commercial chimneys or churches like, uh, rather than private residences. Um, and basically they take their lawn chairs out and sit and watch a chimney um, starting uh, usually an hour before sunset to half hour after sunset. There's an hour and a half period. Um, and they're recording things like, are there chimney swifts in the air and how many? Um, how many entries and exits from the chimney are the chimney swifts doing? Um, or any specific other behavior that they're seeing? Um, but basically, we're looking to see, like, for one, is the chimney occupied at all? And the second one is, depending on how often the chimney swifts are going in and out in their behavior patterns. Um, we can tell if they're using that chimney just for roosting um, earlier in the year. When they come back, sometimes they all gather in, in big roosting chimneys. Or we can tell if they're actually trying to do a nesting attempt. Um, sometimes we can tell if there are young chimney swifts fledging um, through behavior that the observation, that the volunteers are able to observe. And what were you able to observe in Manitoba this year? What did all the volunteers, all the information you were able to gather, what did this year look like for Chimney Swifts? Yeah, we're still putting everything together. Um, but I would say this year was a tough year for Chimney Swifts because of the weather um, and then how the weather impacted how many insects were available. Um, so Chimney Swifts always have, um, unfortunately, a pretty high rate of nest failure. It's just it's, I don't know, inherent to the species, I guess. Um, it's, it's something that's quite commonly seen. Um, but we did see probably more, more nest failures than we would expect this year. Um, and we can't know for certain because we don't know what's going on inside the chimney. We can't see in there. Um, but we do know that it was very hot this year and there was a lack of rain. Um, both, both things that are, are challenging for insect populations and then challenging for the, the birds and other animals that eat those insects. So. Ah, absolutely difficult. How many, how many areas in Manitoba do you have of volunteers who are looking and watching for chimney swifts? 52. 52. That's yeah. a lot. Yeah, that's our total communities. I would say in any particular year, probably about 80% of them have at least have had like one monitoring session done. Um, we do have some where we don't have somebody local, so people travel from, from Winnipeg um, kind of out. Uh, we always prefer to have someone local if we can because they can do things like keep an eye on the chimney if it looks like it's starting to deteriorate. Uh, our organization has funds to be able to work with whoever owns the building and repair it. So kind of like eyes on the ground um, is always helpful. Um, but like I said, some of these communities have small populations, and if no one's interested in sort of birding or bird watching, then um, we do try to get someone out from Winnipeg um, to see if they can if they can take a look at least one. And what is all involved in bird watching for people who maybe haven't done this before? What do they need to know? Do they need any kind of specific training to do this? Yeah, for for chimney swift watching. Um, 
it, it usually is fairly easy um, because you are just looking for the one species. And chimney swifts look fairly unique. Um, they have kind of like an elongated oval body, kind of cigar shape. They have very curved wings, um, and they make a very unique sound. Um, I always call it chittering. I don't, I don't really know how to describe the sound, but it kind of sounds like they're talking to each other. Um, and then they're the only bird that's going to be diving into the chimney. Um, so in terms of identifying them, they're pretty unique. Um, and you don't need any special equipment um, for chimney swift watching. Some people will bring binoculars, but often you don't need them. Like I said, they're pretty unique. You can, as long as they're low enough in the air like they are around dust, you can identify them just, just with your eyes. Um, and yeah, just a dose of patience. Sometimes they don't go in until right at the end of that half hour after dusk. So sometimes you can be sitting there for a little while before the, you see them. Um, or if you do see them early in the evening, they can be up quite high. Um, and, of course, some of the sites, not all the sites have chimney swifts all the years. So sometimes you do sit out there and get skunked. Um, but hopefully it's a nice evening and you can enjoy the evening, enjoy any company you're with. And um, I don't think it's a bust either way. But <laughs> <laughs> Yes, that is so true. What is the value and importance in having observations like this? Yeah, so it's actually very important, um, especially gathering these observations over a long period of time so you can see long-term population trends in chimney swift. Um, and that is part of the reason why we know that they're declining is because we've been watching them for a while. Um, so MCSI, our organization, started in 2006 in Winnipeg. Um, and we were one of the first sort of communities, provinces in Canada to start chimney swift watching. Um, and records from our volunteers, our citizen scientists, have been involved in um, things like uh, COSIWIC reports to assess the sort of threatened nature of chimney swift. Um, it'll be involved in as um, the recovery strategy and the residence description comes out for chimney swift, also under the species at risk act. Um, so citizen scientists are having a real um, impact on, on sort of the research behind chimney swift, at least in Manitoba. And I understand that migration is something that I think a lot of birders are excited to, you know, watch the different birds moving around, new ones coming in. You've got some that are leaving, some that are coming in because they're just passing through. What is migration like for chimney swifts? Is it a dangerous trek for them? Yeah, there's not actually a ton known about chimney swift migration. Chimney swifts in general are very hard to study because of the fact that they spend so much of their time in chimneys, they're not very well known. It's harder to, to band them, like some birds where they've done band and recapture set, uh, studies. That's harder to do for chimney swift. Um, we, what generally happens is um, when they come in in the spring, they all come and join um, a roost chimney is the common thought. So you'll have a lot of swifts in a few chimneys. We're thinking they're trying to keep warm because it's early in the season. Um, and then... As they move into the breeding part of their, their season, then the birds will sort of pair off and move to their nesting chimneys. And then in the fall, they kind of disperse from their nesting chimneys back into the roosting chimneys and then leave on migration. And they go down to uh, the sort of Amazon basin area of South America. Um, in Manitoba, because we're on the northern edge of the range, 
we think that the time they have for breeding is quite short, so they really have to sort of get started right away. So some of them will go to roosting chimneys, but we think perhaps some go right to their nesting chimneys. And same with when they leave, we think some take off right from the nesting chimneys and start all migration. So because Manitoba is at the northern edge of the range, it's perhaps our chimney swifts don't sort of behave in the normal way that other chimney swifts down south can. Um, but that's something also that's hard to study because once they take off, it's kind of just like, well, where did they go? Did they go to a roosting chimney? Or are they on their way to South America? We don't know. So, Amanda, you mentioned that the chimney swift is a species at risk. Why, why does it really matter? Why should we care so much about this species and its survival? Yeah, I guess there's different ways of looking at it. Obviously, I love birds. So to me, like the, a species has an intrinsic value as a species. Um, the, there shouldn't be sort of any other need to want to keep a species around other than the fact that it's unique and it's evolved in this habitat and it's special in that way. Um, but Jimmy Swift do provide a service to people if you want to look at it that way as well. They can eat thousands of insects in a night, just one chimney swift. So if you think if you have a breeding pair in your chimney and they're eating a thousand insects a night each, each night that they're there, they're providing pretty good pest control um, sort of for that neighborhood that they're in. Um, so yeah, those are the sort of two main reasons why people, that people list for chimney swift. But I think really beyond their insect eating capabilities, just the fact that they're there and they're such a unique species, there's no other species that lives in a bird species, at least, that lives in chimneys like this that um, looks the same way and makes the same sounds. It's very unique. I love walking down the street now and, and hearing that noise and looking up and seeing chimney swifts. I wonder how many of us have perhaps heard chimney swifts but never knew what that sound was. It's very possible. Unless you look up, and like I said, sometimes they're quite high up. Um, they are quite loud, so you can hear them and they can still be quite high up in the air. Um, it can take a second, even when you know what you're looking for, to sort of look up and, and find them and focus. Um, once, you've, once you know what they look like, um, if people live in a neighborhood with swifts, they'll sort of start hearing and seeing them all the time. Um, but if you live in a neighborhood with newer houses, which generally don't have chimneys, um, then, yeah, it might be something you're, you're unfamiliar with. But um, I know I've gone into communities with lots of swifts. Um, I was in tourist Manitoba this summer and they are like a, a big swift town in Manitoba and uh, there were swifts flying overhead and I was talking to people on the street and they're like what's the chimney swift and I'm just looking up because at any particular time there are chimney swifts overhead in that town so um, St. Adolph is a similar one to that because we just have such a high concentration of swifts in a in a smaller area. Absolutely well it sounds like you must have had a number of I would say interesting and exciting experiences bird watching. Before I ask about some of those experiences, I want to know, when did you start getting interested in birds? I got interested in birds probably back in, what year was that? 2013-ish, I think. So I'm a, I'm a biologist sort of by training. Um, and one of my um, summer student jobs um, as, a, as an undergraduate student at university, was actually working at um, Delta Marsh on the south end of Lake Manitoba. And my work was on water quality and fish, but our field house was in the middle of the marsh. 
And so there was a ton of birds there. Um, and they had just sort of some, some older bird books um, that people had donated. So I would bird and look through the bird books in my time off. Um, and, and yeah, and then eventually I started volunteering with um, the other, I guess, half of my job. I'm also the coordinator for the Important Bird Areas Program. Um, and so I started volunteering with them. And then I got this job, and then I took on both the Chimney Swift and the IBA part of my work. So that's when I started with the Chimney Swift. And tell me some of your most interesting or exciting or fun experiences while you've been bird watching. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So for Chimney Swift, the the part that I find uh, most entertaining, I guess, is if you've got a chimney where you you know that, that the young should be fledging, so you're, you're watching that chimney quite closely. And the young, they practice flying inside the chimney, so they leave the nest quite early, and they actually finish their like, development by holding onto the side of the chimney wall. So they practice flying up and down the chimney, and then they sort of fall, and they can climb back up the chimney bricks, and then they practice flapping, and they repeat that pattern. But when they come out of the chimney, they're not necessarily such good flyers, and they can have a hard time getting back into the chimney. So, like, sometimes you watch them, and you can tell it's a young chimney swift, because they'll spend, like, upwards of two minutes, five minutes, just trying to, to land inside the chimney hole. So that can be quite, quite funny. They do these aborted dives, and sometimes you think they're almost going to, like, crash into the building or crash into the chimney, and you're sort of holding your breath, like, you can do it. You can get in there. <laughs> <laughs> so they don't come out of the chimney fully acrobatic and and stuff like that. So yeah, that's always uh, an entertaining one. Um, and then the other really interesting phenomenon is when you see these big roofs that happen. Um, so we have one that was found this year um, at an apartment building in Winnipeg. Um, and to our knowledge, they hadn't used this site as a roof before. Um, but I sort of heard there was this series of phone tag that was going on between me and several volunteers, and someone not affiliated with the program had found the roof. He wasn't a birder. He was in his apartment on his balcony for a smoke break, and all of a sudden he saw, like, hundreds of birds flying into this chimney, and he was like, what the heck? So he contacted (laughs) someone who contacted someone who contacted me, and then I had to put out the phone call to the volunteers trying to get people to watch these chimneys. so, yeah, with all of that, it was between 100 and 200 birds for, for quite a period of time, and then it sort of trickled off through the summer um, because, like I said, they go to sort of these roosts early in the spring, and then they slowly spread out to other chimneys from there. But Oh, my um, goodness. Yeah, that was quite the experience. <laughs> <laughs> well, I was going to say that quite often when we're observing animals and spending time in nature, we think a lot about spending time with with animals and plants and insects, but I find so often these experiences, there's always other people that are connected to them, and whether it's that you somebody comes with you to enjoy some nature and bird watching, or you connect with another person to share your stories, but there's always that human aspect that seems to come into everything. And you just illustrated exactly that while we're watching for the chimney swifts. There's there's that human element that's always part of it too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think that's some of what our volunteers enjoy. We try to have a very active blog. Like I think you said you had found us through the blog. So 
we try to summarize stuff every week as, as observations are coming in and sort of let people know what everybody else is sharing. Some people have their specific chimneys. They go back and watch every year and so they like to see sort of how other people's chimneys are doing as compared to their chimney. Um, but it, it's a way for us to stay connected, especially with COVID. Normally we have some chimney swift watch parties and we try to go out to, say, talk with different like church congregations who host the chimney swift. But um, obviously we haven't been able to do that with COVID. So I think um, hearing about other people's experiences is, is still a way for us to stay connected. Um, even though perhaps it's not as good a substitution as we would hope sort of have in person. Absolutely. And I've also heard from a number of people and bird seed suppliers that the number of bird watchers since COVID has hit, that's just grown incredibly. So many people turning to bird watching. And I think that's fabulous. Birds, I have found, they're so entertaining and so interesting to observe their different behaviors. And they have the, their personalities. It's something that I would have never thought of before I started bird watching. Mm-hmm. I think especially when once you start looking for birds, you find them everywhere. Um, so people might think like, oh, well, I don't really see them. But if you spend some time just even just sitting in your backyard or on your balcony or, or, or whatever, spend some time outside in a park, and you're just sort of quiet and you sit there and, and look and listen, um, then people start finding all kinds of things around them. Um, and I also always talk to people, they say, oh, well, I just feed the birds in my backyard, but I'm not a birder, I'm not a bird watcher. And like, well, I mean, people can identify with whatever term they want, but <laughs> like you're still engaging with the birds there. And so, I don't know, I consider, you've got people who say, well, I just watch at my bird feeder, but they can name you 15, 20 different species of birds that come to their bird feeders. Or you describe, they describe a bird and, and they're very accurately describing what they're seeing. So, um Sometimes people think like, oh, I don't know enough. I'm not going to call myself this. But people have a lot more sort of knowledge of, of what's around them locally, which can be really important. Absolutely. I've also found with having windows and knowing exactly where to place bird feeders so that you're not putting birds unnecessarily at risk of flying into the windows, that's just been so so soothing and calming to be able to just sit there, regardless of the season, to just watch them, to just observe. And it's a very soothing, very peaceful uh, activity to take on. Mm-hmm. Well, I thank you so much for your time. Before I let you go, I have one last question for you. Mm-hmm. Is there anything that we can do to help the Chimney Swifts? Yeah, so I guess there's a number of things. The chimney swift, it's a, it's a bit hard because there's not sort of the one simple solution, which is the case for a lot of species. Um, but things like if you have a chimney that, that is open and the chimney swift can use, um, to, to do your best to try to, to keep that chimney, um, keep it clean inside and basically just to keep it standing. Um, and if, People have chimney swifts and they have a, a chimney that's falling into disrepair or needs cleaning. Um, our organization does provide funding for that. Um, so depending on, on how much funding we have each year, we do 
cover 100% of the cost of the chimney renovation if it has any thrift. Um, another thing people can do is participate in citizen scientists. Um, programs like ours and basically any long-term citizen scientist program are always looking for volunteers. We love to have volunteers in the specific communities where there's where the chimney swifts are. Um, and then the, the last thing would just sort of be be conscious of, of climate change and how your habitats can sort of feed into that. Um, we can't just like make the insects appear by by recycling or something like that, but really that's all connected. Um, so to know that um, we're helping support the insects, which then helps support the chimney swift, like everything is sort of connected. So just be conscious of, of how, you're, how you're living your life and how you're impacting nature. Wonderful. Thank you so much for this information, for sharing some encouraging and fun stories with us. I really do appreciate it. No problem. Thank you very much, Judy.